Very good morning. It is Money Talk. It's 17 minutes past uh, eight. And welcome to our guest for this morning's show, Andrew Sullivan, founder of Asian Market Sense, as normal on a Monday. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning. And good morning to Nitin Dialdas, uh, Chief Investment Officer at Mandarin Capital. Good morning, Nitin. Good morning. Andrew, let's start with perhaps one of the elephants in the room, the U.S. debt ceiling. Uh, the talks are stalled at the moment. What do we think about this week? Are they going to come to some kind of agreement? Uh, UK Chancellor Jeremy Hunt saying it will be absolutely devastating if they don't. What do you think? Well, I think he's completely right. But, I mean, it, it's a pre-election year in the US, so neither party really wants to be seen to be giving away too many concessions. But equally, neither of them will want to be responsible for not uh, raising the ceiling. But uh, it's, it's a problem we've seen before, and, and it's one that will probably go to the wire. So it is a brinkmanship uh, thing, right? I think so, yes. Nitin? Mm, yeah, I agree with that. Um, I think we've still got a couple of weeks uh, till we have to come to an agreement, so I don't necessarily think they'll come to an agreement this week. Um, but I do think, yeah, just set, certainly before the deadline, they'll or they'll take it right down to the deadline, and then they'll come to some. They'll con, both sides will concede a little bit, and they will come to an agreement. So Janet Yellen saying it could be as early as uh, uh, June the first a default. Well, I think they've already started their special measures. Um, the, the the timing of it is is you know almost irrelevant. I mean that they will know exactly what the due date is, and they will play for that. How are you guys uh, seeing the G7 uh, this week? We saw some of the finance ministers' uh, talks uh, on Friday and, uh, and Saturday, and the leaders are getting together from Friday in Hiroshima. Uh, there's a lot of talk about uh, increased sanctions against Russia. What do you think could be the key things, perhaps, that might come out of uh, that meeting, Nitin? I find it quite interesting. I mean, they're trying to... Um, may ensure that gas doesn't... Uh, wherever... Um, Russia has actually banned gas going into. They just want to make sure they never supply again. But surely that hurts European countries more than it hurts Russia. Russia really aren't supplying them. So I do find some of the sanctions quite interesting in terms of where they're going. Um, but yeah, at the same time, I can understand that they, you know, they do want to keep sanctioning Russia and see if they can put pressure on them to finally end the war. Um, I'm not necessarily sure that's actually going to work. Andrew? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a you know, there's a lot of discussion. You know, Ukraine is obviously a key thing, but also they're talking about uh, extra measures against China using coercion against people. Um, so there's there's a wide range of things they're looking to do, even down to, to, to vaccines and things like that. So it's a very broad brush um, sense of uh, negotiations going on there, and it just highlights how many issues there are out there for the uh, the world economies to face. It uh, seems that one of the things that they're working on is also a partnership with the World Bank to try to diversify uh, global supply chains, which um, possibly, depending on your point of view, might be a good good idea. Well, I think if already, I mean, countries have gone to gone away from China being their centre of manufacturing to looking at alternatives just because of the policy changes there and the reaction to COVID and the uncertainty that that produces for the future manufacturing. Um, but, I mean, a lot of it will just come down to cost as well. And, you know, we already saw that with sanctions being applied to China three years ago that a lot of supply chains started moving. Uh, Bloomberg reporting that key data out this week may suggest that China's recovery is actually 
doing better than it is. Uh, year on year, uh, figures may compare uh, now versus uh, the time that Shanghai was in lockdown. Are you guys, you know, are you positive about China's recovery? Are you seeing signs out there? What do you think, Nitin? Uh, there's still a long way to go. Um, I don't, I don't think it's. Um, as I said, I, I mean, the numbers will come in positive in terms of where they were a year ago, but I think if you take them in general terms, they're still going to be quite weak, and I do think there's a long, long way to go before China recovers. And like you were just saying, you know, in terms of the export side and manufacturing, a lot of it has shifted away from China already. So that you've got to make up, you've got to make up that shortfall. Um, and there's a number of other factors. People are still a bit cautious; they're not sure what the future holds. So that, uh, I think there's still a, um, a number of factors that need to turn positive before we even consider China being positive going forward. Andrew, month-on-month month data maybe a bit more reliable than year-on-year year this time around? Yes, I mean, you're seeing that. But I think also, I mean, uh, as Mitten was saying there, I mean, it, it, a lot of the consumers in China tend to be very binary. If they're confident, they'll, they'll go out and spend. If they're not, they, they just turn off the taps and, and go into saving mode. And I think there have been so much uncertainty about the strength of the recovery and the fact that you know the global export market isn't as strong as it has been uh, is is worrying for people. And you know you take into account also you know there's been a crackdown on e-commerce, there was a crackdown on the education system, um, there are a lot of unemployment in the youth sector. You know all of that is going to hamper uh, China's ability to grow. Hainan's Golden Week retail sales. Uh, fell flat down 11% versus 2021. I guess that's an indicator of both retail and tourism, Andrew. Yes. I mean, I think one of the key things here is that, you know, the Golden Week numbers were very good, but that's effectively the first time in three years people have had the opportunity to travel and spend, uh, and they would make an effort for that. But I think in general terms, they remain very cautious. Are you feeling positive about tourism generally, uh, both domestic within the mainland and uh, perhaps uh, the growth of tourists coming out of China and around the region? Well, I think they've still got a problem. I mean, China cut back on issuing of passports uh, and the issuing you know, at the same time as they were cutting back on foreigners being issued visas. So that means that there's a there's a shortage there. And, you know, you can't just turn airline flights back on. It takes time to get the planes back into service. It takes time to get the staff back uh, in the cabin. Um, and all of that is going to hamper that recovery. And that's why at the moment you're seeing very high air flares is because there's just a, a lack of seats in the in the sky. Nitin? Yeah, I think um, domestically they seem to have rebounded quite healthily. I mean, there's still a bit more to go, but in terms of international travel, that's still being held back quite considerably. And exactly like Andrew said, I think a big part of that is the fact that they've stopped issuing passports. I think a lot of people are also a bit worried still. I mean, COVID's still quite fresh in their mind, and if suddenly there's a rebound in COVID, I mean, I don't think it'll happen, but there's that fear that if there's a rebound in COVID cases, do they shut the doors again? How do they get back? And that, So... In terms of domestically, I think they're quite okay just traveling domestically for now. Um, but in terms of rebound for international travel, it'll still take a little while. And again, you're maybe talking next year where you start seeing some rebound. And again, as Andrew said, you need planes back, you need staff there. There's a whole number of factors that still need to come through before you're going to see a proper rebound in international travel. Uh, so China uh, economy in focus there. Hong Kong's, econ- Hong Kong's economy grew at uh, 2.7% in the first quarter from a year ago, ending four quarters of contractions. Uh, the government says it's expecting 2023 growth to be near the higher end of their forecast of 35 to 5.5%. What do we think about that, Andrew? Is that, uh, is that really doable? 
Well, it's aspirational, certainly. I mean, I think, you know, we're seeing tourism come back, but a lot of it's, you know, um, mainland tourists coming over. You know, they're not the, the high spenders that we've seen in the past. You've still got hesitation about Macau. Um, and I think, you know, just the fact that we just don't have the, the number of flights coming into Hong Kong or the capacity for flights is, is going to hamper us getting real international travel back. Is this a bit of a PR spin, would you say, by the government? Possibly a warranted PR spin uh, to try to get people to come back. Well, John Lee's been saying we should tell good stories, but, I mean, when he was at the forum the other day, he first started by saying there are no more riots, which is not going to be, you know, the encouraging maybe statement that people want. Um, I think, realistically, it's just going to take time. And uh, people are, you know, it, it's, it's fallen off the radar for a lot of people because we were closed for three years. It's as simple as that. Nissin, are you positive about Hong Kong? Well, again, you're coming off a very low base. So to turn around and go, okay, there's going to be 5% growth after after four consecutive quarters of contraction, it, I mean, that doesn't really tell you a story, does it? If we go back four years or five years, we're, we're still quite under the water and we've got a very long way to go before we even get back to those levels. Um, so, yes, it's a positive spin. Yes, things are getting back on track. Um, but again, when we're taking the whole picture into account, there's still, you know, there's still so much more that can be done and should be done. Um, and again, talking about the riots ended, they ended in 2019. You know, we've had four years of no riots, effectively. We've had, but we've had three years of closure, and uh, where you would not let people come and made it very, very difficult for people to leave because of the costs of coming back. So, I mean, that's again very fresh in people's minds. People aren't going to forget that, and they need they need to see a lot more before I think you're going to start seeing confidence in Hong Kong and people returning. Uh, let's turn back to the US uh, for a moment. Um, on Friday, regional banks still falling uh, in the markets. And, you know, obviously there's a lot of focus on the resumption of talks on the, on the US debt ceiling. This week's calendar also uh, includes congressional, congressional testimony on the banking industry's continuing problems. Um, investors looking at economic data this week, retail sales particularly uh, in focus, Home Depot, uh, Target, uh, Walmart and Alibaba all reporting. Um, Andrew, what are you looking to see out of the US this week? Well, I think, you know, we, we're just going to look for more signs. We know the Fed is data dependent. They'll be looking at the same things that everybody else is and trying to assess, you know, what are they going to do with interest rates going forward? I think, uh, you know, a, I think a lot of the Fed speakers are, are quite worried that the market seems to think that the Fed is going to cut rates, where it's making it very clear that it's going to keep rates higher for longer. So I think you'll see a lot of the Fed speakers talking about that and people will look, be looking for, you know, evidence of that. It was interesting at the weekend that, uh, you know, now Walmart's membership system has something like 15.5% of the total U.S. population. That just gives you an indication that, <laughs> wow. you know, U.S. consumers are more conservative in spending than they have been. Is that a, a view that um, you're seeing reflected uh, out there, Nissin? Yeah, I think uh, they are slightly more cautious. But I think if you, just, again, look at the overall numbers of what's been coming through, generally it's held up quite well considering the number of interest rate rises that has happened and you know, the chatter of recession and all that kind of stuff. Where there are problems is very much focused on the regional banks as opposed to a lot of the other sectors. So when I th when you start seeing the retail sales figures this week, I'd like to see that they do continue to hold up. Um, but, you know, it's that regional bank side that's continuing to be the worry and that's going to be the overhang. And I think when you take all of that into, into consideration, the Fed will keep rates where they are, but I don't think we're going to have any more rise, rises, but we're certainly not going to see interest rates being cut for another 8 to 12 months minimum. 
And I think uh, you've also got to worry about the, the state of the commercial property sector in the US and, again, the impact that has on some of those regional banks. Andrew Sullivan is founder of Asian Market Sense and Nitin Dialdus, Chief Investment Officer at Mandarin Capital. Thank you both for taking part in Money Talk.